Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. All right, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Softweb Radio. Uh, today, excited to have Senator Martha McSally, uh, retired colonel, fighter pilot, and a senator from Arizona, first woman to fly in combat, first to command a fighter squadron. Incredibly impressive. And she has a new book out today called Dare to Fly, Simple Lessons in Never Giving Up, which uh, excited to read the book, which I will. I'm gonna have you back on the show, but please support her and, and go get the book. From what I can see, it's, it's something that would be incredibly useful, especially 
in an environment like today uh, where we're dealing with a lot of uh, adversity. Thanks for uh, being on the show, Martha, and excited to kind of dive in. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brandon. Yeah, it never when I decided to publish it, I never would have imagined we'd be facing the challenges uh, we are right now. But the lessons are certainly timeless about how to overcome your fear and persevere, uh, get through adversity. I, I've had some unique experiences, but we all have common human experiences of uh, how to deal with some of these really difficult things and uh, break through them, break through those barriers, and find your courage and and find some good wingmen and uh, thrive through the darkness. So there's a lot, a lot of good lessons in there uh, that are applicable today. Yeah, no, for sure. I would love to get into your kind of origin story. Like where you, where did you grow up? What made you decide to join the Air Force Academy? What made you get interested in aviation? And kind of like bring us up to speed yeah. with where you're at today. Yeah, so I do share share a lot of this in my book, but it is important to what motivates us. So I grew up in Rhode Island, a youngest of five kids. Uh, my dad came from very humble circumstances. His dad passed away before he was born. His mom passed away when he was a teenager. He started working at age eight and never stopped. But he's a great American story of through hard work and people believing in him and serving in the military and using his GI Bill, he was able to get a good education. And it really drove him for a passion to make a better life for his kids and also serve others. I benefited from all that. I didn't even know that growing up. I grew up in a middle-class family, very stable, really was told I could be anything I wanted to be. And when I was 12 years old, between sixth and seventh grade, uh, my life was turned upside down when my dad very suddenly passed away. We were just hanging out together on the beach one day as a family and he later went up to lie down, wasn't feeling well, went upstairs while we were, you know, outside playing like kids used to do and uh, came inside afterwards and found out that my brother had uh, uh, drove him and my mom to the hospital. They came back that night. And my mom said my dad had suffered a heart attack. I didn't even know what that was, uh, but he, he was stable and we were going to need to help in his recovery. And I, I remember not going to bed with any fear, thinking, OK, we get to take care of dad. And my dad yeah. knew in his spirit, even though he was stable, that in his spirit, he knew he was going to die. So in the middle of the night, in a torrential rainstorm, he said, get my children now. I need to talk to my children. And so we were rushed to the hospital to spend time with him. I didn't really understand it. But I get to visit with him, talk about the mundane things in life, like many of your listeners talked about to their loved ones today. But also school and sports and siblings and other things, the dog. But also in that conversation, he told me to make him proud. The next day, he had another heart attack and left us. And it propelled me on this path through grief, through questioning, through trying to find my own way. And my mom then going back to school and back to work with five kids as a single mom. And I was just looking for an opportunity to get a good education, not settle my mom with debt. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, I was a motion sick, shy kid very sheltered. And I ended up kind of stumbling into going to the Air Force Academy. And I got in, I decided to give it a chance so that, you know, you pay back in service instead of student loans. And I thought it would also channel my energy into something positive. I was feisty, a little rebellious. I thought I could go either way. And I just wanted to be channeled into a positive challenge. And so off I went, I wanted to be a doctor. But when I got there, I found out that just because I was a girl, I couldn't be a fighter pilot and it just made me mad. And so I decided that's exactly what I wanted to do. 
I channeled my rebelliousness into like a dream instead, right? Yeah, no, it's great. I, I mean, I had a similar story, but I, I got kicked out of the house when I was 16. We were on a family sailing trip, so it was like kicked out of the boat in Tahiti. Sailed back at 16, living on the boat. I grew up working on a scuba boat. The owner let me kind of finish my senior year, and I didn't know what the hell to do. So wow. I joined the Navy for, for college for the GI Bill. So, wow. yeah. And I, I think you'll agree with me. Like, if you don't know what your purpose is, the military will help you figure it out really quick. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I just, there's so many yeah. young men and women. It just gives them the purpose, the direction, the discipline. Exactly. It's a, it's a great place to, to go find what you're made of and give you direction. So my oldest son, Hunter was born when I was in Afghanistan with SEAL Team 3 right after 9-11. And he's just graduating as a senior this year. And I tried to talk him into going into the Air Force Academy. He's like, Dad, I don't know people tell me what to do. I'm like, all right. But uh, he's going to go study computer science in probably Scotland next year. Wow. St. Andrews. It's so interesting how we all like make these decisions as teenagers, you know, and they start pushing the path of your life but i mean you're teenagers so like you know if you made a different decision on tuesday versus wednesday you may have ended up in a very different <laughs> different path yeah my biggest thing to him was just follow your heart whatever you're passionate about yeah and take risks good lessons what is your most challenging kind of situation you've dealt with post-military i mean i, I read the new york times piece so i get a pretty good sense of your career and I love the story of you wearing the, the men's garrison cap to change of command. Cause I'm like, I don't know why I grew up in a pretty, my parents were hippies, right? So I grew up in a pretty liberal household, but I'm like, why can't we all just be the same? Like, why the hell do we need to have like different, different hats? And, but as I read that piece, I was cracking myself up. So that, that was actually a hilarious example, by the way, of the media. Uh, my, my, one of my first early experiences of the media, you know, with their own agenda, taking things out of context. Uh, when we first yeah. when I became a fighter pilot, that was the hat that fighter pilots wore. And they put a crush in the back of their hat. And the regulations did not say that women couldn't wear that hat. And I literally had like commanders saying, you better wear that hat, the other hat, the male yeah. hat. Yeah. Right? Because the <laughs> female hat looks like a... Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but anyway, it's just different and you can't put the crush in the back. And so I was doing what my leaders told me to do. And I, and me yeah. and many of the women pilots have been wearing that hat all along. And little did I know that some uniform board had met and somebody teed up a recommendation to get rid of the women's hat. I didn't know anything about this. And so there I was taking yeah. the guide on wearing the same hat that I've been wearing for years with women in formation out there in my squadron wearing the same hat as me. And right after I took over command the next morning, I go out in my backyard and my next door neighbor says, you're on the front page of the paper. And I said, for what? And they said, some hat controversy. I mean, it wasn't the next morning, but I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, you've on this challenging the hat thing. I'm like, I have no idea. It was literally made up. Like the controversy was made up my first experience of the media just making things up for their own agenda. So true. And yeah, great context. Cause I, I read it and I was totally looking at it from a different angle. So what about your transition, right? I know it's, it's 
tough for, at least for me when I got out you're in such like a regimented schedule you can trust people and then you're out yeah. in the wild and it's kind of a totally different environment but what's one of your biggest challenges kind of post-military well I retired I was serving overseas at the time and I got selected to be a professor at a place called the Marshall Center and so I stayed overseas and I was teaching national security studies so I was still around uh, you know, the security culture, you know, U.S. national security culture. But I just felt this conviction and call to duty as I was seeing what was going on in our politics in Washington, D.C., that I maybe needed to step up and do more. And I, I tried to lie down to that feeling went away after, you know, serving all those years. I had served as a legislative fellow. So I'd worked for Senator John Kyle instead of going off to Air Command and Staff College. So it was just part of my national security education that I was given in the Air Force. But I didn't walk away from that. That was back in the 90s. I didn't walk away like, oh, I want to run for office someday. Some people love the politics. I can't stand the politics, but I love to make it. (laughs) You know, I love to fix things that are broken. I love to make things that are wrong right. I love to give people a voice who don't have a voice. I mean, that's the passion and purpose of my life. And so as I was feeling this call to duty to maybe step up and run for office, I really had to think through, is this the is this the best way to serve at this moment in time? And I, you know, I stepped into the to the ring to run. And I had no political experience at all. And eventually, I mean, it took, I thought I had won in 2012 when I first ran. I went to freshman orientation, voted for the speaker, but they counted ballots for 14 more days. I ended up losing by 0.84%. And then I ran again in 2014. And I won by a whopping 167 votes after a 43-day recount. And so my new call sign is landslide. So, you know, since I've been in the House and now in the Senate, I think, you know, this is, I look at it like as a continuation of my service. It's the same oath of office that I took as an officer. But as you mentioned, like, it's so frustrating when you don't know who you can trust. And you're you're looking for people who have a similar mindset of, the core values that we had in the military service before self integrity first excellence in all we do are the air force core values all the services have them they're about service and duty and honor and country and sacrifice and you know it just it's not what washington dc thrives on unfortunately so trying to be effective in the midst of the insanity and the show horsing and the politicizing of everything in dc and the media it's just it's been extremely Difficult, but I just stay, you know, uh, focused on what can I do today to make a difference? Same like I do in everything in my life. What can I do today in this environment to make a difference? And I think one of the biggest eye-openers, though, was how the media treated me. For the longest time, when I was breaking barriers to become a fighter pilot and taking on the Pentagon for making our women wear burqas, like the media, the mainstream media loved my story until I became a Republican candidate for Congress. (laughs) <laughs> All of a sudden, not so much. <laughs> yeah. God, I could tell you stories. I mean, I, I run and own a media company today that we we had a group in New York bring us in to, to talk about acquiring us. Um, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. It was the Group 9 Media had two meetings. And then the, one of the corp development guys pulled me aside on the second meeting. He's like, yeah, you know, we just got word from top down. We, we just don't think this is a cultural fit for us. Mm. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, you're military guys and 
the founders put AOC in office and they just really don't see a fit here. And I was like, you don't even like, we haven't even had a talk about politics. <laughs> like, but they just judge you. And it's like, there is for sure this liberal media bias that exists. And I used to have a lot of respect for the New York Times and you can have your opinions about, about Trump, but the bias is just out of hand. It's so bad. I'm now in the middle of it. I mean, I saw it from, you know, just as a citizen, but I'm now in the middle of it every single day. And it's just, it's so bad. It's unfortunate because people in the country deserve to have a professional, objective media, getting them the facts and letting them decide their own views and their own opinions. And the mainstream media are just beside themselves. (laughs) Like they just, it's so bad and it's so blatant. And it's just unfortunate because the country deserves better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had another question for you. If you had a magic wand, what would you change to to kind of remake America for the better? Given that it seems like to me, you know, we've lost our path with foreign policy. It's it's like the schizophrenic foreign policy. We're behind in so many sectors. Like I'm at this course at Harvard Business School now for business owners and, and listening to my classmates, like we're so far behind on FinTech and telemedicine and education, healthcare. So if you had that magic wand, like what, what would you change? Cause it seems like we need to get our act together. Well, we don't have a magic wand. So, but I do think that this, yeah. <laughs> this crisis we're going through right now as awful and as unprecedented and as dire it has been towards lives and livelihoods, I think there is an opportunity for us to wake up on some things. And specifically, I mean, my focus is on China. You know, China has been in plain sight, you know, for those of us who serve, we've been seeing the rise of China for the last decades. In plain sight, they have been on a path to replace us as the world leader. And they've been taking advantage of our free society our economic setup, you know, investing in and allowing outsourcing of our critical national security and healthcare needs to China. They're cheating either legally yeah. by the way that they make people do business in China by scooping up their technology or or just cyber attacking, stealing our technology. But they're also like investing in our infrastructure in America and there's cities who are allowing it for uh, you know, for them to be bidding with Chinese-owned companies for public transportation in major cities, which is a national security risk, and what they're doing at our research institutions and, and universities. So I think the coronavirus has been a wake-up call that China has been on the rise, that we have been a bit asleep at the switch, our European allies even more so. And if we now work together we can bring that manufacturing home. We can continue to be the leader in technology. Let's not outsource it. We've got the best. We have the best minds here in America. We've got to make sure that we ensure our future for national security, for health security, for other things. And we've got to stop allowing China to cheat. I think this is the the biggest challenge of these next years. The window is closing And it's the biggest challenge of these next years going forward. And there's things we can do about it with our foreign policy, with our economic policy. And because of the virus, especially, I think Americans are going to demand that the outsourcing of our our PPE and our medicines and everything, that it comes home to America. And it's important that we do that. There's so many other things that we need to do, but that's the one I'm focused on right now. 
Yeah, I think people were shocked to find that most of the prescription medicine was being manufactured in China or in the U.S. I mean, talk about a supply chain risk. Right. Um, and I mean, our critical minerals yeah. that are needed for our defense systems, they're all rare earth minerals. They're all in China. They're all being manufactured, yeah. processed in China, mined in China. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was watching like just the Huawei issue, which I agree with, with Trump on how he's handling it, but the kind of China bullying Germany and the EU, like, well, we're, you know, they're buying a lot of automobiles. <laughs> so you better let Huawei continue to operate. But if you didn't believe what we were saying related to the coronavirus and related to technology and these other things, look at what they're doing in Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, they had an agreement in 1984 that starting in 1997 for the next 50 years, that Hong Kong would have its freedoms and way of life and autonomy. And now they're basically, with a vote that they may do this week, they're basically reneging on that, starting the path to take over Hong Kong. Like, wake up. We need to wake up. China is not our friend. They're our adversary and they want to replace us. We're stronger and better, but we need our European allies to wake up and we need to be using all elements of national power in order to stop them. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If if you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 
314-460-3144-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, I was having a conversation with one of my HBS classmates who's a billionaire from China, and she, we were talking about just how they handled the coronavirus, and she's like, oh yeah, like it's well known, like China kind of said we need to let this out in the world or else, you know, we're going to be the only ones with the economic disaster on our hands. And just the fact that they like thought, oh, we're just going to like unleash this mm-hmm. to the rest of the world for our own self-interest is just so fucked up. You know? We still don't know who patient zero yeah. was, right? We still don't know exactly where it came from. We do know by a study done in the UK that had they acted three weeks earlier, 95 of the percent of the cases could have been stopped. We do know yep. that they restricted travel internally, but they did not restrict travel internationally. And they continue on a cover-up. They blame the U.S. Army. They lied to their own people. They were welding people into their own homes and left to die. I mean, their totalitarian regime is ruthless. And they're on a continued propaganda campaign to the world and to their own people to cover it up. This is their Chernobyl moment. There's going to be, you know, a mini series about this sometime in the future. But this is also our Sputnik moment where we can wake up, unite, uh, put all of our energy together and uh, make sure that we stop uh, the path that they are on. Yeah, no, I agree. It's never been a better time to to wake up to that because it just seemed like nobody was paying attention. Even one of my friends, Jeff, is the former CMO of Media, and we were having this conversation just about TikTok, it's just, which is this kind of state-owned social media platform. Like, I don't see this lasting too much longer in America because they're just collecting right. intel on, on all of us. Like, what? <laughs> How come nobody's saying anything? All these American influencers are promoting TikTok everywhere. And, and it's just, you know, what I've been lately on, a, I'm going to introduce legislation that allows people to know when they shop online, whether something is made in China or made in America. If you go to the store, you can look on a label of the clothing or if you're going to buy dog biscuits. But when I'm shopping on Amazon, I can't tell. And I've had some conversations as I'm trying to order some things on Amazon saying, excuse me, where is your company? Where are things made? And as soon as they come back yeah. in China, I say something like, your communist government is responsible for many American deaths and I'm not buying this, you know, and, uh, but I want to know is something made in China is something made in America. We deserve to have that information so we can make good choices. Agreed. On to some lighter subject. What are you still flying today? Are you active or not so much? Well, I I have my paragliding license. So I do paraglide from time to time. Um, It's pretty amazing uh, getting out in the mountains and and flying nearly like a bird. I do have my private license as well. And from time to time, when I'm going out to the rural areas in Arizona, I will fly in a little plane. I always have a safety pilot with me because I'm, you know, too sleep deprived and distracted trying to solve the problems of the country to be doing good risk management and planning. But it's great to get airborne anytime, anytime I can. Yeah, I would love to, to try the paragliding. I, I ended up falling in with a group of guys that they're former Air Force, Marine Corps, Navy pilots, and they have this kind of underground fight club in San Diego. We meet up twice a year to do ACM in Yaks. Most of the planes are the Yak 50s. Yeah, these guys just trained me up, and because I always, I actually, my childhood dream was to be a pilot. <laughs> I just <laughs> did had a weird, weird. Uh, 
being homeschooled on and off. I just didn't have the grades to, to go into the, any of the academies, but yeah, I got my form card with those guys now, like fighting two fighters and four bandits and a fighter block. And it's just like extreme, extremely uh, fun and a great, great group of guys. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. Well, well you know, I, I tell mean, I, some stories in my, in my book about flying the A-10 first takeoff is solo. There's no two seat models. There's no simulators, yeah. never flown the airplane before. And then some combat sorties in uh, a Canyon in Afghanistan in particular. It's an amazing plane. I mean, I, I miss the, you know, fl- flying a little civilian plane is not quite the same as doing close air support and then uh, talking to an American on the ground under fire and figuring out where the good guys and where the bad guys are and then delivering firepower so they can get home to their family safely and live to fight another day. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm sure there's some great, great stories in the book. I actually, when I was in Afghanistan, we were there around October 2001 to February 2002. One of the first nine lines I got to call in was actually a, a woman pilot. And I think she was an uh, Air Force pilot. And then I come back home and I'm at my brother-in-law's wedding and I'm t- you know, like telling this story and they're like oh do you know like she's a pilot over there in the air force and it was her like <laughs> it was crazy yeah yeah because we we had the combat controllers attached to our seal platoon and those guys were just excellent on the radio but they got so bored calling all this fire like oh that they just started letting us do the fire missions ourselves so yeah it's crazy but I hadn't to the A-10, I love that plane. I was doing cast training out on near Vegas, and that what an amazing machine. It's incredible. I had the choice of the F-15, the F-15E, F-16, F-111, or A-10, and I picked the A-10. It's The, the folklore is that they built the 30-millimeter gun, which is like the size of a passenger car, and uh, as far as length, length goes, and then they went to the engineers and said, figure out how to fly this gun. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds cool. It's ugly. It's survivable. We can take direct hits. We can lose all our hydraulics, our electrics, flight controls, damage to the, to the wings, and still lose one engine and still fly back to friendly territory safely. It, it was really built to be down and dirty. We got the titanium bathtub around us in the cockpit to protect us from small arms fire. It's just extraordinary. There's nothing like it. You know, I picked it. It's we're like the uh, not the fast moving culture of our Air Force at the time. It was not the top pick of most people, but I chose it because I just thought it was an awesome mission. Yeah, great mission. Great, great plane. And so even the trainer is not a two seat, just a single seat. Yeah, there were there were no two seat trainers. They built a couple two seaters in the initial making of the A-10. I think one of them crashed. There's one in a museum somewhere, but they never operationalized it. So there were no simulators at the time that I went through training. There's simulators now. So your first flight solo and you've got your instructor pilot in the plane next to you, but you've never flown the plane before. You've been through, I mean, you have your pilot wing, so you're an aviator, but uh, you've never flown that plane. And you've had three weeks of very intense training on all the procedures all the systems, all the emergencies. But I remember like it was yesterday when they cleared me for takeoff that first time. And I just thought I was going to throw yeah. up. And I was like, this is crazy. I've never flown this plane yeah. before. And so I talk about in that in my book, like just as a practical example of how you 
learn to do things afraid. You can either let fear overpower you, and I could have just taxied back in, and I would have just taken a different path in life. But instead, I pushed up the power, and I took off afraid. I reached back to other experiences in my life growing up where I was able to push through fear. And I talk about that, like as an athlete, you almost build muscle memory, you know, to build your courage. And, but it didn't mean it was an absence of fear. It meant that I actually chose to move forward in the midst of my fear. And then you realize that the fear doesn't have power over you. And of course, once I got airborne, I, I, I had a sigh of relief. I looked over at my wingman and I could see, or my instructor pilot. And I'm like, Hey man, I'm an A-10 pilot. You know, it was about a 10 year dream in the making. And then I remember being terrified of the thought, like, I got to figure out how to land this thing. <laughs> you know, like, I get about two hours <laughs> <of> gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think what you say about fear is incredibly powerful, right? Because when you tend to make that a habit in life, it's yeah. just very few things can hold you back. I transitioned from a Yak-52, which is a Russian trainer, to a Yak-50, which is a single seat plane the Russians designed it to compete on the world aerobatic stage and same thing single seat I was sitting in the 400 horsepower tail dragger radial engine I'm sitting in there like doing all the emergency procedures visualize everything and, and they, one of the Air Force kind of pilot mentor guys walked over Bones he was an old F4 guy he's like you gonna fly that damn thing or what <laughs> so that was like my my nudge uh very different platform, but I had that same feeling like, shit, I've never flown this plane before. Like, and then the amazing plane to fly it. And the thing, I was like, okay, now I got to land it, right? So, right. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we realize as pilots, like, well, if you push up the power and you let off the brakes, eventually the airplane is going to get airborne when it picks up enough speed, right? But the, yeah, the hard yeah. part. <laughs> Everyone listening, please go get Dare to Fly, uh, Marcus. Yeah, dare to fly.us so people can get it there but they also can share their own stories because i need to be inspired every day too so they can contact me it won't be public to anybody else i'd love to hear any inspiring stories that can encourage me and others during this time so awesome i would love to have you back on i know you got a busy schedule with day job <laughs> as a senator and then uh, publishing a book but love to have you back love to support your uh re-election bid anything we can do to help, uh, please let us know. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, everybody be safe out there and go to daretofly.us. I've had some unique stories and experiences, but we can all relate to fear and resilience and perseverance and overcoming barriers. And so hopefully it can inspire you in your own walk and your own journey today. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Pretty fascinating just to, to learn a little bit about Martha's story, you know, her PR folks reached out to us and I did a lot of digging um, into the background and, you know, she dealt with so much adversity. You know, I, di- I didn't want to get into it on the interview because she'd kind of already talked about this and it had been reported on, but she was, Martha was actually a victim of, of rape in the Air Force and chose not to press charges and came out about, about it much later and spoke about it openly as a politician, but pretty fascinating just how she really being the first is never easy. Just a lot of respect for her and kind of pushing the boundaries. You know, I'm sure if you read it in her book, she was actually five, five foot three, which was at the time, not high enough to be a, a pilot in the air force and ended up getting pushing to get a waiver 
pushing to become the first combat pilot, uh, just overcoming like adversity after adversity. So then, like she said, uh, talk about her father, literally on her father's deathbed, you know, just make me proud, uh, pretty powerful stuff, which, which shows you how powerful words can be in general, but uh, amazing career in the Air Force. You know, she went on to retire as a colonel and was the first woman to command a fighter squadron. Uh, and now uh, doing something that, you know, a few people asked me if I was interested in running for politics. And I just, just not something I wanted to, to do because I had enough friends in politics to understand that, you know, in today's world as a politician, every everything is fair game. I just want to subject myself and my family to, to this kind of scrutiny uh, and nastiness that it, it takes to be a modern politician. But, but a lot of respect for, for Senator McSally and, and what she's doing just to continue to serve. I mean, she's essentially devoted her life to making this country a better place to live. So lots of respect uh, for her. We'll definitely have her back on. I can't wait to call uh, Scott Kelly and send him a text and give him give him a hard time. I did remember reading it. Is um, it, those of you who don't remember Scott? Scott, longest American in space. Uh, we had him on the show uh, a while back. Was an astronaut. Admitted to me actually that he was afraid to apply for the astronaut program because he didn't think it was good enough. So it just shows that you know you got to push through those fears sometime, and, and a lot of time it's much worse in your head than than reality makes it. Uh, but I can't wait to give Scott a hard time because his, his twin brother is like, is also an astronaut, you know, a family of underachievers, but running against Martha in Arizona um, as a Democrat. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun to give him a good ribbing over that. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I, I know I did. We got some great guests lined up, upcoming guests we have on the show. Bob, Dr. Bob, he was a SEAL um, and went into uh, the army and became a MD who just has a, a new book out himself. We're going to have uh, Bob on the show here in the next couple of weeks. Um, has some more exciting guests lined up for you. And we are now on officially on the iHeart uh, radio podcast network. We have really good partnership with iHeart. Grateful to be a part of the iHeart family. And it also gives us access to, to more interesting guests, uh, bigger, bigger audience reach as well. So excited to be a part of iHeart's family. You know, we uh, just kind of an update on the site. We continue to, to put out some really great content on the main site, software.com uh, videos as well. We have some more team videos planned uh, to shoot later this year. Just trying to kind of wade through this new world of COVID TV production. I just, I finished my first novel that's being looked at for uh, film right now. Pretty excited about that. Uh, that book is called Steel Fear. It's actually a, about a serial killer on a Navy aircraft carrier based on true events, a sexual predator on the USS Abraham Lincoln, who was never caught when I was uh, deployed on the Lincoln with HS-6 uh, helicopter squadron before I, before I went to SEAL training. So it's exciting about that, that book, book to film. And we've got some cool uh, uh, soft rep production in the works. We're pitching to Netflix and a few other networks, TV series. Uh, so excited about that. Lots, lots of cool stuff coming down the line. We also are investing heavily in the loadout room, our survival store, really remaking it 
with American made products. We first started the store, we had there's a place you can go to to sign up products. And we ended up having a ton of products in there from China, but it was just a terrible experience. But just kind of a, the guy who runs e-commerce for us, uh, ex-army guy, Jacob, him and I just decided, look, we're going to focus on kind of American brands, American manufacturing. So excited to, to kind of lean into the loadout room, which is the the software of online survival store, and then really invest to make that store as unique as possible. And, and our kind of vision there is there's so many choices on the internet right now on Amazon, everywhere else. You know, what boots do you buy? What knife do you buy? What medical kit? So our job is really to kind of pick the best products, best brand, and, and make make things easier uh, for the for the buyer. But anyway, that's kind of the latest from us. Um, if you haven't signed up for a software subscription, please consider doing that. It does go to support an all-veteran writing team. Uh, those of you guys who are familiar with the site know that, that uh, you know, we've come a long way in eight years, but uh, it hasn't always been easy. And we definitely don't shy away from controversy and telling it like it is, regardless of popularity or not. Anyway, appreciate you guys tuning in this week. I uh, look forward to catching you with Bob soon. And that's all I have out here. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 